You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. We will jump right in and begin with our grateful moment. Kelvin, what are you grateful for this week? What's going on, everybody? Um, I'm grateful this week, uh, first and foremost, because basketball started. Not the NBA, but the TBT tournament started. Um, and I'm really excited to see some live basketball, not these replays that I already know who won the game already. Um, and a couple of my young boys play for uh, Team Brotherly Love, Philly. Stand up. We won uh, last okay. night. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing them play again on Monday. But it's some good, it's some good uh, competition in there, too. So it's something to do, something to watch. So I'm grateful for that. Nice. And Evan, tell us what you're grateful for. I'm grateful that um, for the first time in about five months, I don't wake up and see my children's faces. They are with their grandparents <laughs> for a couple of weeks. And so uh, I'm grateful to be able to just have this time away from them with my wife and uh, all that stuff. So I'm grateful for that. Nice. And Philip, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my revelation. My daughter told me, um, she said, I haven't given her enough encouragement while she played basketball. And I think that's an eye opener thing because um, I know her expectations. I know her, her, she's able to do on the court and I just want her to reach it there. But I think I have to celebrate, you know, celebrate with her more. So I'm grateful for that revelation. My daughter said, I need to encourage her more. Awesome. And Mr. Williams, what are you grateful for today? Hello, everyone. Um, I'm grateful. I was able to take my youngest son uh, to move him to Springfield, Illinois, where he could begin his first after graduating from college uh, as an architect. Uh, See, I'm filling it up with all kinds of words. Grateful that um, with him, I've officially arrived to that space of being an actor. Yeah, I'm grateful. Awesome. Awesome. And this week, I am grateful for Friday, July 3rd. Um, I was home, off from work, and I did nothing. And when I say nothing, I did absolutely nothing. And I am grateful for days like that. Um, just because of my line of work and all the things that I'm doing, I don't get opportunities um, to really spend to myself and to relax. And so I am very, very grateful for my day of relaxation on Friday. Today we have our guest host with us, um, Mr. Weldon Williams. We are so happy to have him. Um, we're going to be discussing a, different, a, a couple different topics today, very exciting topics, so we are happy that we'll have his perspective. Um, let us jump right into our topics. This week, we got a wave of excitement when we heard that Cam Newton signed a one-year deal to play with the Patriots. Now, I'm a New York Giants fan, so this is kind of a bittersweet sore spot here for me. Um, we know what a prime Cam Newton looks like. The question most sports fans are grappling with is what will he actually look like 
when he takes the field. We can't say for sure that he will have the starting quarterback position. We know that Jared Stidham is currently the starting quarterback. And we can't forget that Cam was injured for 14 games. He missed 14 games last season due to the injury. And he missed two games at the end of the prior season as a result of that injury. We can't negate the fact that Cam suffered a lot of abuse in his nine years on the field. Um, he had two shoulder surgeries. He had a surgery to his foot as well as a surgery to his ankle. We don't know what we will see when he takes the field. So of course there are questions as to whether or not he can stay healthy. Then you have to take into account COVID, right? As there have been limited contact with players and teams due to this pandemic, rosters that look substantially the same from the previous season, in my opinion, would have an advantage because they would have developed previous chemistry that was already built. With all of that said, we can't sit here and act like we're not talking about Cam Newton, the 2015 season league MVP. The man that led the Panthers to the Super Bowl. And I'll say that again. The man that led the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, to the Super Bowl. Um, he is a guy that can beat you in the air. And when he's healthy, he can beat you on the ground as well. Prior to the 2018 season, he led the Panthers to a 6-2 and two record. He is dynamic and electric on the field. And I say if he comes back this season healthy under the direction of Bill Belichick, the Patriots have a legitimate chance at winning it all yet again. So my question for the team, what is your opinion? What kind of impact do you think Cam would have with, with the Patriots next season? Do we see a potential win in our sights? or not and we're going to start this off i'll go to, with philip cam newton made the greatest decision for his career let's think about this the last time cam had a decent decent offensive tool was 2015 and the reason why i know 2015 because i lived through it here in the carolinas so much so they went 15 and one and i lost a bet i bet that they will lose against Aaron Rodgers. And for that bet, I had to wear a sign, and y'all probably gonna look for it on the internet, that said, I am a Carolina fan. I cannot count out Cam Newton. Think about it this way, and some numbers. They go into a team that last year had the number one defense rank, right, from the team he was currently in, who had the 22, 22nd defense, um, defensive, 25th defensive ranking. He's going to a team that had one of the top, top 10 offensives to the 22nd. And then he has Bill Belichick. Give it that they may not have no cameras to cheat this year, but I still trust in mind of Bill Belichick. He will utilize what he couldn't do with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was not a mobile quarterback. He has a mobile quarterback. He has Elman. He has the dink and dunk. And then on top of that, he has... Cam Newton. So Cam made a perfectly perfect decision to go with the one, the best, the best for a great price. So Cam, 
New England off to the championship game. I, I love, very powerful, Philip. I love that. So basically you're saying that Cam um, has the potential for the first time in his career to really, you know, keep pounding. Um, I know that's Carolina's slogan, but I haven't figured out why um, it has been. So let us transition and let us go on to Kelvin. What are your thoughts? I'm just, I'm just confused. Are we talking about former number one overall Cam Newton, Heisman winner Cam Newton, former league MVP Cam Newton, two years ago, 3,000 yards, 400 yards rushing Cam Newton, Superman yes. Cam Newton. Is that what we talk about? Yes, sir. Let, so, let him have it. So I, 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 this is a boss move. I mean, New England only makes boss moves. And I can, I can, I can be proud to talk, talk about New England because my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, we dethroned them in the championship. So I have no problem giving them props <laughs> when the props is due because we own them, by the way. But get, the, get back on Cam Newton. I mean, we just got to just look at it. Like the AFC East is scrub division. So as soon as he mm -hmm. walks in that locker room, he becomes the best quarterback in the division. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just think I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think, of course, it's a boss move. And I think New England just continues to do what they do. They do their homework, and they always a step ahead of everybody except the Eagles. So that's my opinion on it. I mean, Kelvin, I really loved your response. I was with you up until you said the Eagles part. But um, I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> Let's go on to Evan. Evan, how are you feeling about Mr. Cam in New England? I think for Cam, it's a great move. I think Cam, uh, Cam Newton is a – one, I think the contract he got is disrespectful. I mean, he got uh, $500,000 guaranteed. I mean, he's a former MVP. However, I would not proclaim them a Super Bowl favorite. While they have a great defense, one of the issues New England has had historically is that their – they don't necessarily put the best players uh, position-wise uh, with the um, in terms of wide receiver or something like that. And so I think I think they'll be a playoff team for sure. I think they need to get a, more weapons around Cam Newton. I think it's a great move for him. Um, I think he should have got paid more. I think they have a stellar defense, but. I'm not sure how I feel about the weapons around him, particularly seeing him have to go up against um, the Kansas City Chiefs um, or um, or even yeah. I don't I don't know how I feel about them being a Super Bowl team. I think it's a boss move for Cam. It's a boss move for the Patriots, but I think they're going to have to put some support around around uh, Cam Newton. I see. And I really love the fact that you brought up his contract because in my lawyer mind, outside of just looking at what players can do on the field, I am so interested in the numbers. And that contract is so trash. It is disrespectful. Um, they signed him for the $1 million minimum um, in the NFL. And as Kelvin pointed out, we're talking about the former league MVP. 
I mean, you have quarterbacks that are average or in some cases below average making more than him. You have Nick Foles, a former Eagles quarterback, by the way, making about $8 million next season. You have the likes of Baker Mayfield making around $8 million next season. And you have Cam's replacement in Teddy Bridgewater, who is super talented. I am not taken away from his talent, who is going to earn $21 million a year next season. He's and okay. while he is very talented, he only started six games in the last four years. So I just really want to put that in perspective as to how bad this contract is um, for Cam. So that's the only thing I don't really like. Cam said for him, it's not about the money. It's about respect. I'm actually glad he came out and said that because the Panthers, Panthers fans did not respect him. They did not deserve a Cam Newton. And I am so glad that he has removed himself from Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. Um, well then, what are your thoughts about Cam Newton and um, what kind of impact do you think he'll have? I think he's a man with a chip on his shoulder and wants to prove that um, with the right coach, with the right support, that he can uh, demonstrate that uh, he's still got it. Um, I think that uh, injury is not going to be a challenge. Uh, the Patriots have one of the best offensive lines in the, in the, in the league, and they've, uh, they've taken pride in protecting their quarterback. Uh, the biggest challenge I think that he has is that uh, when you look at his receiver core, I mean, he's got Edelman and who else, right? <clears throat> and then uh, from a running backs, uh, he's going to have to be, he's there. They may be thinking he's got to do the bulk of the running, but the reality is you don't want him doing that either because with all, with as many injuries he had, it makes him a little bit potentially frail. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's a great move. Um, I think that uh, in, the in, at, in the end, he's going to prove, uh, prove them wrong uh, on all the naysayers. Uh, because if you think about it, when he won, when he won the, uh, the, the MVP, it was in, uh, uh, you know, he first came out and they couldn't figure him out. The second season, the sophomore season, they figured him out. Hmm. His third season, and if I'm not mistaken, that was the year that they went to the, it's 2004, when they went to the Super Bowl, they couldn't figure him out again because he constantly redefines himself. And in this instance, I think he's going to redefine himself um, uh, 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 with Belichick and Belichick got him for a steal. And, and Belichick always proves that he, 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 from a contract standpoint, they're cheap up there. Um, yeah. They're cheap. But if he proves himself this year, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, um, he, he will, he will get, um, he'll get, he'll get his worth. And then I'm going to throw a final caveat in there. I'm irritated that the bears didn't pick him up. <laughs> I know um, that, that would have been, oh my gosh, if he went on the bears, that would have been something to see. Exactly. But instead, we get Nick Foles. <laughs> <laughs> Put some respect on the same. A Super Bowl winning quarterback. Shout out to Nick Foles, the former Eagles 
Fordovac. Shout out to him. Yeah. Um, Bait and switch. <laughs> exactly. We got the okie doke. <laughs> Calvin, um, it sounded like you wanted to say something earlier when I mentioned Nick Foles. You good? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm good. You know, Nick, I always got a special place with Nick in my heart. But listen, he's not on my team no more. So it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we'll be happy to give him back to you if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bears blew it. The Bears That's blew it. That's a hard it. pass. No, we'll take him. Listen, I don't know who our backups are. I'll take him. <laughs> oh, look, look, you, you, you call him a backup. We're trying to bring him in to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, let us transition to our next topic. And I really want to paint a picture for our listeners today. You have a Black team. He's charged and convicted of burglary and allegedly shooting a white homeowner in Missouri. The fingerprint evidence does not place the teen on the scene. The black teen adamantly asserts his innocence and says that he is misidentified. The crux of the case turned on the victim's identification of him. Mind you, the victim could not identify him out of a photo lineup. The victim was instructed by police officers when he could not identify a person, hey, give it your best guess, right? This is starting to sound like a setup. At that point, he is picked out of a lineup and the victim picks him out because he was bigger than all of the other guys in the photo. So now you're not talking about distinguishing characteristics. You're just talking about, hey, he looks different from the rest. Let me pick this guy. The black teen is then convicted by an all-white jury, sentenced to serve 50 years for a crime that he did not commit and which there was no legal basis to convict him. This teen's name is Jonathan Irons. Fast forward to 2019 and in comes Maya Moore, who is one of my favorite athletes of all time. Maya plays for the Minnesota Lynx and is an absolute powerhouse on the court. Her resume looks something like this. She's a number one draft pick in the 2011 WNBA draft. 2011 Rookie of the Year. 2014 scoring title. By the age of 29, she won four championships. She's a finals MVP a league MVP, a six-time All-Star. She has won two gold medals. She attended the elite UConn and played for the women's basketball team. She has two NCAA championships, right? She has, she's a two-time player of the year and she holds three wage trophies given to the best women's basketball player in college. We are talking about a proven and undeniable winner. Not the likes of the Russell, Russell Westbrooks and James Hardens of the world. I'm going to give her all of her flowers while she is still alive. Maya, if you're listening, I salute you today. As impressive as all of that is, 
she earned my title of GLOAT, the greatest woman of all time, when she decided to sit out the 2019 WNBA season to work on criminal justice reform. Her work behind the scenes earned Jonathan Irons, that team that I just told you about, his freedom, a feat that is far greater than any athlete can achieve on a basketball court, on a baseball diamond, anywhere else. What Maya did cannot be understated. Here she was at the absolute top of her game, who sacrificed the game she loved to be an advocate and an activist, which ultimately led to overturning Mr. Iron's conviction. Muhammad Ali would have been so proud of her. Maya has taken the use of her platform to another level. I think it is also important to note how female athletes are often overlooked for their acts of activism. During the NFL kneeling, we didn't hear about the fact that the entire Indiana Fever team knelt for the national anthem. After Mike Brown's death, we did not hear about Ms. Maya Moore taking the lead and having her team protest by wearing Black Lives Matter shirts while warming up, an act that was so offensive to law enforcement, they walked out from the arena vowing not to provide security. Next season, this coming season, we have three WNBA players who have joined more in the fight for social justice. We have Natasha Cloud from the 2019 championship Washington Mystics team, Tiffany Hayes from the Atlanta Dream, and Renee Montgomery from the Atlanta Dream. For good measure, Maya will also be sending out this upcoming season to continue her work off of the field. Now you understand why for me, she is the quote the greatest woman of all time. Kelvin, how do you feel about Miss Moore? You know, you nailed it on the head, Dion. I mean, to be honest, I just, only thing I knew about her um, was pretty much the UConn, her uh, WNBA uh, resume. But, I mean, she's just so impressive as a person, man. I was just looking, I was looking at her little bio, and I'm like, yo, one thing I thought I thought about, don't don't judge me. I'm like, how in the world is she not married yet? <laughs> I'm like, Man, somebody just could have scooped her already. They tripping. Fellas, you out here tripping. <laughs> Get on it. But um, it was three words uh, that came to my mind. Admirable, commendable, and Christ-like. Um, she is just, uh, she exemplifies you know, she's a professed Christian. She exemplifies cr Christianity in her walk and not just interviews and talk. Um, anytime you you uh, set aside the game that you love, the thing that you're great at, um, to fight for somebody else, uh, the lesser voice, I mean, it's, 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 I don't even have words to describe how I really feel about it. She's very impressive as a person. And it, whether she plays another another um, minute on the court, uh, her resume is stamped already as a person. Um, she's just phenomenal. I commend her and I just feel like she's a trailblazer. Um, she's taken a step f further than a lot of athletes. 
And I feel like she's not getting the attention that she needs to get. Um, because when I seen it, it was just something, it was like a, you know how you, you scam, you scam the, um, the sites and you see something, hers was like one of those subpar, uh, uh articles. And I think mm-hmm. it should be the headline front and center, you know, how important the things that she's doing is to the community, black community, white community, human community. So I, I'm just impressed and I, and I love her. I'm going to be a, fa- a huge fan following her from now on. Absolutely. Um, Evan, tell us what you think. I think that it's a shame that she doesn't get more notoriety. Um, But I think that probably speaks a little bit of the sexism divide in sports, uh, where male athletes get more notoriety for doing, um, I'm not going to say less, but, but their stuff gets promoted, whereas Maya Moore may not have been and the grand scheme of things as major. But in essence, you're talking about the LeBron James of WNBA sitting out a season. Um, and I think um, her move is just so powerful and impactful because um, she recognized kind of as um, uh, Weldon highlighted in the interview uh, last episode that um, I think she realizes that her life is bigger than sports. There are some people who live just for sports, but she says, but she said, no, my life is bigger than sports and my work is bigger than sports. Hmm. And so I think it speaks to the power of, of athlete agency uh, that it kind of puts the paradigm of capitalism on its head in the sense where, you know, players are made to feel as if they're not the important piece, that the owners are the ones who pay them. But the, the, reality, the reality is, Without them playing, the owners can't make money. And so the most important component are the athletes on the court who are able to do it. Uh, and so she demonstrated her, her importance to the sport and to society, greater society by using her platform and her agency and her power to fight for justice for someone who I want to be very clear. He's not the only type of person who's in jail for shady um, for a shady trial or interesting way of finding a black man guilty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think she is a hero that should be applauded and she is the woke. Yes, that's right. Um, Weldon, what are your thoughts on Ms. Moore? I'm humbled um, and incredibly proud. And I say that more so in light of what other folks are not doing. And when you sit and you look at what she's doing, it's just, it, uh, it, 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 it tell, it, it, it's a, another telltale sign that we're in a different age right now. And that um, we have a generation of, of young people who um, are not taking the benefits that they've received from life um, and and their their position that they uh, that they that they've attained for granted, but believe that um, they have a, a God given call to 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 do everything they can to raise the raise up the lives of others. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't have known who Jonathan Irons was mm-hmm. had it not been for her. And, you know, uh, I guess it was a New York Times article where I first heard about this because that's the new the, the, the paper uh, that I usually read. 
And um, I'm sitting here, I'm like, are you stinking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how many other Jonathan Irons are there, right? How many other uh, people uh, are, are wasting away in prison um, and basically uh, they don't have an advocate. And the mm-hmm. fact that she would put her life on hold to give him life, I'm like, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the stuff that legends are made of. And so, um, you know, I'm just mad that she's not my child that I could brag on her more. <laughs> I'm telling you, cause I'm just, I'm just blown away. She's that. And, and that goes back to, you know, the, the, the old days when my, my parents and my grandparents grew up where uh, everybody realized that we're all part of this thing together and, you know, we have to help each other out. And, you know, if one's hurting, all of us are hurting. And if one of us is successful, all of us are successful. And that kind of a corporate mindset, I think we have to get back towards, uh, especially as black folks. Yes, absolutely. Philip, what are your thoughts? First and foremost, I salute Maya Moore. I'm at awe. And it's funny that I think she met, she was part of a prison ministry in 2007, which went and met Mr. Iron. And she could have easily said, you know what? Uh, I'll pray for you and keep it moving. It took some time, took some time. And in, in 2019, she said, no, I can't, I can't take this no more. Forgo her, her career at the pinnacle pinnacle it's equivalent to a ceo saying you know what i no longer want to be a ceo right now i want to take care of something much more important and it brings me back to the thing we all want community we have to look out for one another it was like when barack obama became president of the united states every black male said i'm the president meaning that uh, something that we thought we would never see we became a part of it. we share that celebration we share that accomplishment as one so every time a black person succeed we all feel like we succeed because that's the way they kind of paint us. If we, we fail, we all fail. But we, so we must celebrate the celebration. We must celebrate my more and the celebration of the taking forward, taking a step to sacrifice. And that is a great sacrifice. The way she earned food on her table. And mind you, back then, WNBA players, the highest they made was 100000 She played overseas, made some money, but she forgo all that to save one. Remind me of Christ forsake everything to save one. So I salute her. I'm forever a fan of her. I follow her on Instagram. I wish she'll come and do an interview just to tell us a story. It, it's a commender. And, and it, I show my girls, I have three girls, that they could accomplish anything. And the most important thing is to help your fellow man. That's the true essence of being a human being, helping your fellow man. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love that all of you guys mentioned is we're not talking about the the athlete who, you know, who's kind of deteriorating, who's kind of on the bench. We are talking about a woman who is at the top, the literal top of her game, um, you know, who decided to do this. And, and one of my favorite stories about Maya, I was reading an article actually in 2018, um, where this little girl, I believe she was four years old, saw a picture of Maya um, under a Team Jordan advertisement. Um, and it was posted in Minnesota. And the little girl said, wow, girls play basketball too? 
and she told her dad, I, I want to go and take a picture just like Maya in, in front of her photo. Wow. And now, two years later, um, her dad can look at her and say, not only do girls play basketball, but girls are activists. Girls change the world. Girls can be the bedrock and foundation of positive change in our society. My salute to Miss um, to Miss Moore. Let's um, transition, and we're going to be remaining on the topic of women in sports, but we will shift gears a little bit and talk about some disturbing revelations that surfaced this week surrounding a former 76ers cheerleader slash dancer. We were able to see a video of former Captain, Captain Annie Weiss berating a Black dancer, Ms. Coleman, and threatening to, and I quote, find whatever project you live in. I will swim it to the west side of Philly just to find you and beat the S out of you and get you blacklisted from whatever club you think you can get into, among other hateful rhetoric. Even more appalling than Weiss's lack of brain cells and home training was the fact that Ms. Coleman reported these acts of bullying um, in September 2016 to the COO of the Sixers. The COO's response was, thank you for bringing this issue to my attention. She made sure to mention that everyone was going to depart for Labor Day weekend, but she will look into the matter next week. That was the response from the COO. Well, here we are almost four years later and nothing has happened. Is this a snapshot of what they meant by trust the process in Philly? I certainly hope not. The sisters are now, as of last week, looking into the matter. Not only is the video infuriating, but the lack of redress by leadership shows us why we have organizations and systems that perpetuate prejudice. It is in the same vein as law enforcement, when we don't hold members of the organization accountable, we create a culture that essentially says anything goes. What a poor representation of leadership in my opinion. I'm gonna jump right into Evan. Tell me your thoughts about this situation. Uh, well, the Sixers ownership group um, has proven inept in dealing with certain of these issues, particularly, uh, you know, they will, uh, get behind um, the PR portion of of uh, being pro equity, pro race, pro black, whatever like that. But it, it, it demonstrates that the issues we're facing right now, we can't be um, enamored by the slogans that um, we can't be enamored by the slogans that these sport organizations are putting out. I'm most concerned is what are you doing at the day to day when no one is looking? Are you really going to enforce uh, a pro racial equity approach or are they going to keep doing business as usual? You know, um, we know that, you know, even with the Redskins name, they're talking about changing the Redskins name. But, you know, these things are made over financial decisions. And I don't know how much are they really even really concerned about how to the extent which race matters. If I'm not wrong, it was either 2014 or 2015 where the NBA stated 
that well, had uh, Donald Sterling removed. And I once again believe that was a publicity stunt as mm -hmm. opposed to them being really against racism. Mm -hmm. You know, because we know in this country, racists are not just uh, those who are part of the GOP. Racists are also those who uh, are more liberal in their thinking and are pro this and that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to keep the foot to the fire of our, our sports organizations, of our sports teams, because all I got to say is they don't really care about us. Yeah. 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 I mean, cueing my George Bush and Kanye West interactions, you know, they don't care about Black people, it seems. Um, Weldon, what do you think about um, this situation and how the organization dealt with it or did not deal with it? Um, the, the, the danger that we have uh, and I, is that we're looking at how the organization dealt with something with 2020 eyes uh, that happened, um, you know, four years ago. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, that does not in any way justify it, but it, it, what it does is it provides for me um, a context where I can pause for a second and not be uh, too outraged, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because we all know that years, you know, for years, uh, systemic racism as well as unconscious bias has plagued uh, all of the sports world. Um, I mean, shucks, the whole Colin Kaepernick uh, ordeal demonstrates that the the that you know to Evan's point, um, money is going to drive their reaction and their response. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know when I look at their response, I, it's no different than the response that I've seen from uh, you know various corporations who are responding now to racist issues and racist concerns from their past because they're now quote unquote woke. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the challenge for us is for this not to be a burning platform, but to be, as I've always, I've been saying, a journey where we're saying, this is now a true journey, mm -hmm. journey that we're all gonna walk on together. I mean, the young lady, if I'm not mistaken, who's acute, who's, who's making the statements no longer with the organization, well, what's the, what can the organization do to her? Nothing. Mm -hmm. But what what is, will the organization do to change to ensure that this can never happen again? That's yeah. why I'm, I'm a firm believer that there, there has to be room at the table. Um, we're not in the room when the decisions are being made anymore. Uh, we, have to, we have to have diverse voices at the table across the platform to, to when decisions are being made. Um, and until that happens, we're gonna continue to see this kind of stuff. Uh, and it's gonna continue to surface. We're gonna continue to see um, that our sports organizations are racist. I'm sitting there like, oh, oh, really? That's, that's news to you? Oh, really? Come on. Um, we knew that was the case. It's just, it's coming to the forefront now. Um, and we just, we, we have to demand that, um, that they be more 
more transparent in what they're doing to resolve these issues and ensure that it doesn't perpetuate. Absolutely, absolutely. Organizations need to take accountability and hold up a standard um, where we don't tolerate prejudice. We don't tolerate um, any form of degrading. We don't tolerate racism. And as Weldon just said, that is why we need to be at that table to ensure that those ideals are being met every single day. So we don't have a situation where something happens in 2020 and now we're addressing it because of some public outcry 10 years later. That is not acceptable. Um, Philip, what are your thoughts on this? And just to add on to that, it's sad that she had to wait this long to feel safe to tell about her story. And then she didn't come directly. She used an artist, Trey Songs, who posted her um, her, her outcry to have something to be looked into at the time. So the whole thing is they didn't make the environment safe. It was a culture of not making any person feel safe or anyone to turn to and let them know of the matter, which is the sad, sad part mm -hmm. of the situation. And I'm glad that, you know, that she felt strong enough and she stated she felt strong enough to mention this and others can learn from this and use their voice. Social media is a powerful, powerful platform. Mm -hmm. The unknown person or peon has a voice now. And all they have to have is one person pick up and share that. And then boom, you have a powerful tool right there. And so it could be used for bad or for no good or evil. And it also be used as a powerful tool to share true information. Something that um, it's, it's something that we all should take a use of it, but mindful, always hear two, both sides of the story. So I'm interested to hear the other side, even though I think Anne Weiss, who was the, the accused captain, did apologize, but even the apology was ambiguous. But, <laughs> so, but I'm interested to hear the other side of it. But the most important thing that she made an accusation, 76 to fail, to respond in a timely manner. She didn't feel safe. She had to leave after she left. She was able to tell her story. Fear of some type of retribution would occur. So mm -hmm. the thing is that hopefully everyone to have the courage to step forward and tell this story, especially with bigotry, sexual harassment, um, any type of thing that makes you feel less that we should have the right to come forward or our organization have the means or communications where you could go forth and tell your story and be investigated sharply, promptly, and return the information or return what's transpired in the investigation in a discreet and strong, powerful manner. That's right. Calvin, um, tell us what you think about this. Yeah, uh, don't shoot me, y'all. Um, Uh-oh. I honestly, I just need some more information. Um, I'm, I'm kind of just stuck. I mean, if, if everything is alleged right now, so if I hear both sides, my opinion might just shift totally 100% with, uh, what's her name, Yane? Um, yeah, Yane Coleman. Yeah, it, it might shift. Um, but, I will you know, add, it sounds like to me, off the little information that I had, it just sounds like, oh, go ahead, yeah. No, 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 I, I was just gonna say that um, it, it's not really just allegations against Ms. Weiss because she's video recorded. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would say about that. Now, I respect um, 
you know, your position because maybe you would like to know, well, what were the interactions leading up to this? Have there been instances of like maybe issues in the past, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, I, from the video, what I've seen, right, it sounds like just a jealousy thing to me. It sounds like they were jealous of her. Um, it looked, it looked like, I mean, the fact that she stayed there for three years to me was crazy too in that type of environment. Um, so, you know, if you, if, if, if it's crazy to me, like as, as bad as you're saying it is, I don't think you're going to stay there three years and be a part of it. Just my opinion. But besides that, it's just that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're in this, um, we're in this environment right now where everything is coming back to the forefront because of what's been going on transpiring. So mm -hmm. I'm just careful not to just, um, you know, just, just, to, just accuse people of being racist um, without me just getting all the facts and the details. So I don't, I don't, I, I just, from what I've seen and what I've heard so far, I don't know if I'll just jump to that conclusion that they were, the organization is, you know, wasn't handling it because it was, because, uh, you know, they were being racist toward her. So I just would need, I just would like more information before I make a point. Just, just, just to, uh, let me, let me say this. Let me, let me say this. I have to say this. My thing is, Kelvin, remember, remember, um, had to be four or five years ago when, when, when um, who's that white wide receiver we had for the Eagles? Um, four or five years ago? Riley Cooper. Riley, yeah, Riley. When he dropped the N-bomb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's my thing. I don't just say stuff unless I deep down believe it if I'm angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to start calling someone uh, a derogatory term, a racially derogatory term, because I'm mad. Well, and hold, so, are you saying she, did she do that? that, that what was the, what she, what was the what term? She talking about, go back to your little ghetto, West Philadelphia. She, 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 she race-based it. Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. It just wasn't like. I see people with that type of conversation. If she was a white girl, the black girls would say, I, I'm going to get you a little white, this, this, that, and the third. And I don't, that don't mean they racist, in me, my opinion. That's what they believe. Like Riley, Riley Cooper said, uh, he said, he said, you said the N-word. So, you know, that's just clear, direct. To me, it's... Can I, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me paint a little color on this, okay? If, if I come up and I say, and, I'm, and, and if I come up and I say to a white man, yo, you need to take your Chad butt back to the suburbs where you come from, that's racist. We, we don't want to paint uh, things that we say as, as black folks as racist because we, we have this new notion that you have to have power to be racist. And no, Merriam-Webster doesn't say that. We say that. But that's not the truth. Racism, it, 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 in its purest form, is when we look at somebody and we stereotype them and put them on based upon their ethnicity. And, and, and what that young lady said to her was inherently racist. And then the other thing, when, when you talk about being a victim, Black folks have been victims of racism all of our lives. I mean, shucks. When I was in the third grade, my mother had to come to the school because the principal said, 
you know, you need to figure out how to have your son be a lot more quiet in the halls. He's too loud. And 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 a, a young white boy being loud, he's being assertive. A black boy being loud, he's being aggressive. That's just something that's always followed us. And because it's followed us, when we have a higher tolerance for it, and so we'll stay in situations and circumstances uh, where, where we're being victimized, even because one, we don't think we can go anyplace else. Two, it's like, well, you know, that's just them being them. And three, we've been accustomed to it. And, and so I, I don't wanna ever look down upon this young lady and say, you know, why did you stay there for three years? Well, you stayed because I'm getting paid. It's something I like to do. And you know what? I just have to, I just deal with it. I deal with racist folks all the time. And, and, and who of us as a black, as a person of color has not said that at one time or another. Mm -hmm. So I think but we- you, but, 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 uh, Well, then you heard of Jesse Smollett, right? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, and I hear what you're saying and I, and I really agree with it, but I'm just really careful. Uh, just, I'm just really careful because I feel like a lot of times we, we jump to conclusions and then another story will come out, you know, maybe a week later and we, our opinions may change. And I feel like I just don't have enough information. I don't have enough information to just paint, her, paint the picture based, of the organization. Based upon the information, and see, this is the problem. Based upon, and, and Jesse Smollett's perfect example, based upon the information of Jesse Smollett, uh, as what he provided, the conclusion we came to was the right conclusion. Based upon the information. We're but, 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 not like Donald, well, let me finish. We're not yeah. like Donald Trump that when we're wrong, we can't come back and say, I wasn't wrong, I'm wrong. Right. And so, so based upon the information, it's very clear that this, if, if what was said was true, it's racist. And if what was said, okay, was reported to, to, to uh, uh, the, the Sixers, then the statement I made, I'm like, point on. This is indicative of how corporations have acted mm -hmm. as it pertains to racial issues. People, I get what, that you're innocent to proven guilty, mm -hmm. but let's pause for, and, and we want to make sure we maintain that. But when the evidence is a preponderance of it and it feeds into the, the unconscious bias that Black folks experience on a regular basis, our biggest problem with racism is it's not being acknowledged uh, uh, and, 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 uh, by the greater population. And this is the first time in my life, and I'm 56 years old, that we have corporations who are acknowledging the very things that I've been experiencing in the corporate world. Just, I had a, I had a boss tell me one time, because uh, he didn't give me the promotion that he promised me. He told me, well, then, you know what? You need to understand, there are engineers right now who are unemployed. I see, I see people's mouths dropping. And I looked him dead in the eyes and said, but they're not Duke engineers. Hello. And, and a month later, I was working for Campbell Soup. But most of us don't have that credential to, to fall back on. That's so true, so true.
Absolutely. Um, and and I think you brought up a really good point about why we stay. If we're all honest with ourselves, and, and maybe this is only me, but the vast majority of people I know, um, Black professionals, tolerate a lot because at that moment in our lives, we feel like we need to be here, whether it's for a paycheck, to support our families. You know, we can't just make a decision and be like, you know what? All right, you know, you're saying negative things towards me, I'm going to quit. That's usually a harder decision for us to make, us being Black people to make, just because of the way these systems are set up, right? Like we're not guaranteed a new job in a week or two if we decide to quit a job for discrimination. We just don't have that kind of access in the workforce. Um, so um, that was a really, really great discussion and, and I appreciate all, all of the perspectives across the table. Um, cool. can, I, can I ask a question to our resident lawyer? I'm sorry? Yeah. Can I ask a question to our resident lawyer? Mm-hmm. In a courtroom of law, because Kevin mm-hmm. can't be convinced on this, in a courtroom of law, if someone said this, would the person be sued for damages and win? Would they be sued for damages? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I'm probably the right terms, but I'm just throwing it out there. Could you, could you, is that enough evidence to say, you know what, there's something there? Um, it depends on like workplace type discrimination depends on the role that the speaker has. So for instance, if she was her supervisor or was in any supervisory capacity, um, there could be a claim where a hostile work environment has been created. Um, Ms. Coleman could have had a case um, that she could have directed to the EEOC and they could have pursued a case against her. I just don't know what her role was, meaning Anna Weiss. I don't know if she was in a supervisor type capacity, which basically gives her some status within the organization. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, perfect sense. Okay, all right. All right, so keeping in the same vein as leaders who do nothing to address inequities, let us turn to Roger Goodell and the NFL. So we learned this week that the NFL wants to play the Black National Anthem for the season opener. Now I'm gonna reserve my thoughts on this because I would really love to get the perspective of the guys here. Philip, what do you think about that? Well, I, I, I like it, I like it. Um, it brings me back to my football playing the years in Brooklyn, played for the Brooklyn Hurricanes. Um, which was an outside league because my high school didn't have a football team. And um, we went undefeated that season. But one of the games, I played for predominantly white club. So we had, we had to play, you know, various um, leagues. And one of the leagues we did play was, um, I think, the Skyhawks. Anyway. It was a predominantly, predominantly black football team. And they played um, the national anthem, uh, Lift Every Voice. And I felt so proud but quiet. <laughs> because I didn't want to look like I was going against my predominantly white teammates who we were undefeated. We won the, the, the championship that year, but I had to show solidarity. I had to align myself with my teammates, but probably I, I sang the song and I felt like I was a part of something and that I had history and then I, 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 I contributed my nation, my forefathers and 
people contribute to this country and built this country. And I finally got to sing and talk about our bright future. So I like it. Um, it may be a small token the NFL has given us, but at this point, it still allow other audience to understand who we are and educate them what we've been through since the history books doesn't always depict the accuracy of what we have gone through. Hey, Evan, what do you I think? I am this? thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> I am unimpressed by the NFL because Jerry Jones is still a racist because he's, uh, you know, we're, doing, we're talking about billionaires who are still probably involved with businesses that exploit uh, not just black bodies, but also exploit the globe. And so, you know, it's like a small concession. You know, it's a small concession, but I bet you if the, if, if the NFL players said, we want y'all to get behind reparations, they'd be like, heck to the no. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, great, we sing the Black National Anthem, Kumbaya, but there's still issues that the NFL refuses to address are they gonna are they gonna give a massive claim to the NFL players who have concussions, who have lost their lives, who have been damaged as a byproduct of playing the game? Hmm. And well. so, okay, we'll sing the Black National Anthem. Will white people be able to kneel down during that Black National Anthem? Is that gonna be a big controversy? Hmm. It's all it is is pacifying a bunch of well, I, I'm a pastor and I don't want to say anything I don't I can't say. But it's going to pacify people, but it's not making any real change. And so, I mean, are they going to bring Kaepernick out to lead the national anthem, the Black National Anthem? Is that going to make us feel real good with big Afro puff, put a pick in there, and we'll raise a black fist, pop, black, black, black power fist? Hmm. I don't even care. I, I don't care. Number, number two, there may not even be a league this year. Like, oh, well, we had it that one year, you know? You know? So for me, I think it gets around the real issue we're talking about, which is it was never about the anthem in the first place. So who cares? The issue was police brutality. Yeah. And what 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 is Jerry Jones doing in the city of Dallas to address police brutality in his city? What are each of these organizations doing in their city to address police brutality? Did, is Minnesota uh, going to going to apply pressure? Uh, is, Cincinnati, is Cincinnati Bengals going to apply pressure in Kentucky for Breonna Taylor's officers to not being arrested? It's a joke, a slap to the face. Mm -hmm. I feel disrespected to the fact they throw it out there. It's like a white person saying to me, "I have a black best friend." Who gives a flying flip? No, nope. I love it, Calvin. What are your thoughts? You listen, I'm almost afraid to get my thoughts because Evan, you know, he came a little too hard. <laughs> nah, nah, I appreciate it though. I appreciate it. Now, me, um, not conflicted, but I, but I am happy and I'm not. Um, not because of all the reasons that Evan stated. You know, of course, there are uh, bigger issues at stake. Um, but, but you know, Phil pointed made some good points too. I do think it's a start. Um, I do think all these things that we're talking about anyway, because I, I read some reports and it's nothing really confirmed yet by the NFL, by the way, from what I've seen. Um, but they said they're going to like put, let, allow the players that had a decals, uh, the different victims, uh, police br brutality, 
uh, on their helmets during the games. Um, uh, and the national anthem, of course, it's gonna it's gonna make people uncomfortable, but it's gonna present a conversation. And I think it, there's more to come behind that. And if it is more to come behind that, then I am I am happy about it. Um, but like Evan was pointing out, it's just a start. You know, we can't just we can't say this is just a win because we're doing a Negro national anthem before one game. It's not like they said we're gonna do we're gonna do it throughout the season, throughout the rest of the NFL. Uh, but they said they're going to do it the first week of everybody's game. So I'm, I'm not like I'm excited, but I do think it's a start. And I, and I have to imagine that um, Goodell, uh, he's not making these decisions, these arbitrary decisions. I think he has, you know, uh, insight from a lot of the players um, and, you know, probably people outside of the NFL as well. So I do believe that the NFL ha is trying to um, – they're trying to make an impact. They're trying to make their voices heard. And, and, and this is the reality, to be honest. The reality is I feel as though no matter what they do, you're always going to have some people who are never going to be satisfied. So that's the one thing we got to look at, too. You know, some people are just not going to be satisfied. So I can I always look at it half full. Um, and I think, you know, progress is to be made. And I think they will do more. So I, I'm not happy, but I'm not sad, if that makes sense. Okay, Weldon, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> first, I'm, I, I, I guess I'm, 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 I'm in the same place that Evan was. I'm not impressed at all. Um, let me just. So, what are they going to do? Uh, because of all the racism that Hispanics are feeling, we're going to play the Mexican national anthem. We're gonna come and play the Canadian, or they do that when they're up in Canada, I for, forgot. Um, we'll play the, that's, it's, 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 it's a ploy. It's a ploy. Um, I'll believe that they're, that they, that they're serious when they have more black people in the head office. I'll believe they're more serious when they have more black people, we have black people who are owners. Until then, uh, right now, uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to appeal to a, to, to a constituency because they recognize um, that more and more of not just the fans, but the athletes are lining up behind the whole, uh, the, the whole issues of, of, of racial injustices. So uh, I'm not impressed at all. It's, it's a gimmick. It's too much of a gimmick for me. And I will say this on a scale of Philip to Weldon and Evan, you guys can probably guess where I am. I am not impressed by this mess, okay? Like, this is like the classic case of you ever saw those memes on Facebook where it's like what, what you asked for is on the left versus what you actually got? This isn't addressing <laughs> any of the issues. I don't care if you have John Legend and Common come out there to sing it. How is this addressing what is happening in our Black communities? What is singing the Black National Anthem supposed to do? You know, I, I don't know. I'm just like, look, keep it, keep it. Take, take both of the anthems out of football, because if, if you look historically, 
that was only a recent trend. I believe maybe around 9-11 or so, um, we started actually having um, the national anthem b before games, if I'm not mistaken. Take it out. I don't want the national anthem. Are, are y'all going to hire Cap? Are y'all going to put Cap in NFL operations? Or are y'all going to give him an opportunity to play again? Because at the end of the day, the NFL still hasn't addressed how they blackballed him. And we're talking about leaders colluding to exclude him from the sport because of his kneeling, because of his protesting. And at the end of the day, as Evan said, it's not about the national anthem. It's not about the words. It's about this system that punish an athlete for exercising a constitutional right, freedom of speech and freedom of expression. So at the end of the day, look, I don't care about this Black National Anthem. I don't care whether Fergie sings any National Anthem again. And God help us, we hope she never does that again. All I'm cared about, all, all I care about is that we are addressing what the issues are. That the NFL as a system, because th that is where we get this idea of systemic racism, that the NFL as a system is upholding the ideals of the place. The majority of the NFL, they're black. You, you can't have an organization where all of your, most of your talent are black men and you're not even dealing with the issues in our communities. So when they start doing that, I'll be impressed. Keep your national anthem, okay? <laughs> so, Can I ask a quick question before uh -huh. we leave off this one? I understand everything y'all said, but I would say that the NFL has contributed $250 million right for for to advocate not saying it's enough but how much would it help just to hear and the words are so beautiful what we've gone through and no it doesn't address but just that that insight yes it's a gimmick and it's not addressing the issues but i i like i said Cal, calvin and i calvin and i kind of agree it shows a side of how we and what we've gone through so that's Listen, just my two cents. I mean, I mean, I hear you, but is singing the Black National Anthem going to make the Giants offensive line better? Like, like my team is struggling on the field. That's not, not doing Jesus anything to, to address the better. The struggle, huh? Not even Jesus can make the Giants offensive line better. Okay, now you <laughs> hold on one minute, okay? Boy, this boy's crazy. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I can't interject. What I'm saying is, um, like I said, and, and Phil, I share, I share a lot with Phil. But what all I'm saying is, we don't know. It'd be different. If we say, okay, this is all the NFL wants to do. They're gonna throw us this little bone. But the fact that they have put their money where their mouth is, uh, in terms of, of resources in the communities, you know, um, not 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 fully like everybody is going to be like even. Uh, Ray, Reed and Malcolm Jenkins had an argument because, you know, as far as like what the NFL did compared to what he expected from them. What I'm mm -hmm. saying is, I think 
we we force their hand to make moves. And right now, we just got a story, a cute story that said they're going to sing the national anthem. And for some reason, we kind of up in arms because we think that's all that's going to happen. Nobody said that. But the fact is that this this is not a bad thing that they're doing it. You know, it's, it's not, is it going to change the world? No. But is it going to is it going to make people uncomfortable at the at the uh, stadiums? Is it is it going to cause conversation? Yes, and that's and that's what we're looking for, and we're looking for change. And I think the NFL is going to make some more moves. So I'm not I'm not the jury's still out, but it's to be determined. I concur. True. I mean, I, I mean, look, and and I'll just say this last thing, and then we'll move on. Um, isn't it interesting though that they're proposing for this to happen um, the first week of the season only? knowing that COVID is probably going to prevent the the first week of the season from happening. Oh, and and, and yeah. so essentially what's going to happen is like maybe in January or something, we're like, oh, no, like we were only proposing that if the regular season started. But now that we had a delay, like scratch that. No? Nobody's thinking like that? <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. I don't think nobody's going to let that go down, though, Dion. Nobody's going to let that go down. Conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> All right. Let's transition into our last topic. And I am so glad that our guest host is here because I cannot wait to hear what he has to say about this. So um, in the news this week, a five-star recruit whose last name is Maker um, when he was making his choice as to what um, school he wanted to play for, he chose Howard, and he chose Howard University, which we all know is like the HBCU, um, over UCLA in Kentucky. Additionally, Morgan State was able to acquire Sharon Wright Jr., um, an athlete from Wake Forest, um, so he transferred to Morgan State, which is another um, well-known HBCU. And I am so excited and pumped about this. You know, what a time for us um, to be alive. And so I wanted to throw out to the guys, as a result of the shifting social climate, will the new wave of Black talent choose HBCUs over traditional NCAA powerhouses, which are PWIs, predominantly white institutions? And what would the NCAA have to do to continue to attract top-rated Black athletes? And I'm going to start this conversation with Weldon. Okay, so first things first, I do not believe that um, you're going to see a glut of these young players uh, flock to HBCUs. Now, I'll preface it by saying that just because they're – all of the players who go are not necessarily woke. That being said, when I heard uh, about this young fella going to uh, 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 committing to Howard, I was giddy as a kid in the candy store. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, that has historically been the biggest challenge uh, at the, at the uh, historically black colleges and universities that the best talent in our communities don't go there. Um, I mean, shucks, I didn't even, I barely knew that there was such a thing as an HBCU. Yes, I'm, I'm shamefully saying this. Uh, when I was being recruited, uh, and had I known what I know now, I tell my wife this all the time, I would have gone to Morehouse. Plain and simple, I would have gone to Morehouse. Just because 
the networking, um, uh, you don't learn about networking uh, if you're not exposed to it. And uh, I didn't know what networking was uh, at Duke University, not at all. I found out afterwards when a, a couple black men took me under their, their wings and said, I'm going to teach you how to network and, and how to, to work the politics, if you will, of, of business. And so I'm happy as, as all get out that this young man has gone there. I don't necessarily think that you're gonna see a, a rash of, of athletes doing it, although I would love to see that happen uh, because it would be great to, to see the, the uh, you know, Morehouse in, uh, or, 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 uh, or Howard in NCAA Final Four. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness, man, shoot. Every last one of us would be having, would be wearing that, wearing a big Morehouse jersey. You know that's right. But uh, I'm just, I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think that the young man's career will, will, will reflect his social consciousness, as well as um, it, it will set him up for future success. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's great. Absolutely. And, and while you were speaking, I just took my mind, like, what would it be like if Howard is like at the end of a major tournament? Like, I would lose my everlasting mind, okay? I would lose my mind. Um, so, very excited about that, um, potentially. So, Kelvin, um, he is another college athlete star. Um, what are your thoughts on this? So, 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 so happy. Um, big shout out to the MEAC. Um, you know, I'm a Coppin State guy. Um, so I'm so happy that we landed one of those guys. I could say we. I never liked Howard because I was, that was my rival. But, <laughs> but, 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 but now I'm just a MEAC guy through and through. So I'm happy that we, we landed those guys, that guy. And then also, like you said, the Morgan State guy was big too. But um, <clears throat> what I say is it's a failure in our community, too. Um, we chose to do money over being woke. Uh, we chose to prestige, prestige over our community and our HBCUs. I always had a plan to, um, to like, uh, coach kids and direct kids to those programs. Um, but I feel as though uh, we couldn't compete. It's, it's some hidden things that people don't know about the NCAA. And one of those hidden things is those booster programs <laughs> and those and those networking opportunities that that people have. Like I had a I, I, I don't I won't say his name, but one of those former Duke guys, as well as on the show, he told me, um, not Gerald either. I know I know a couple people that play for Duke, but the, the kid told me that Coach K told him, if he comes there, he's guaranteed that he's going to get right out of college, he's going to have a, a six-figure job if he come to Duke. You know what I'm saying? And he said he can guarantee that. So that's something. That's some type of recruiting things that a lot of co co uh, you know programs like the HBCU programs, they can't offer certain things that a Duke can offer, that a UNC can offer, you know, especially when you talk about behind-the-scenes thing with alumni and all that type of, uh, type of jazz, the facilities, you know. But there needs to be... There needs to be a group and an effort in our communities, especially our inner city communities, where we make a push and we hold athletes accountable to pour back into these, these predominantly black universities so we can have, we could be on the same playing field as everybody else. It's hard for a college athlete to take 
a trip to Ohio State and then take a trip to Norfolk State. You know, it's just it's just it's just night and day far as facilities, far as far as everything that you see. So um, I don't blame the young athletes. I blame I blame the old heads. I was like to say it, the, the the people that they take guidance from, because we don't really push the importance of of these universities and what it can do for us uh, and how we can network and make our universities just just as prestigious as the other ones. So I'm I'm. I'm, I'm definitely happy. I'm elated. But at the same time, there's a lot of work to be done. But this guy took a big step um, signing with Howard. Absolutely. Um, Evan, how do you feel about this? I think it's interesting. Um, how should I say this? I don't want to be offensive by this at all. I'm bothered that the first athlete to do this in a long time because I think he's Thumbmaker's little brother. I'm bothered that it's not an African-American doing it, but an African decided to do it first. And not because it's an issue between African-Americans and Africans. It's that our own players who are Native-born don't seem to be demonstrating an appreciation for what opportunities they have in front of them. Because, you know, when we talked about this a few episodes ago, how the NCAA system is corrupt in the sense of you know, they're benefiting off the backs of players. Right now, we're watching um, HBCU struggling because they are worrying about, you know, how they're going to pay for this, pay for that, and the way the PWI, PWIs do not because these PWIs, like Harvard and, and schools of that nature, have old slave money as endowments that are still funding and subsidizing those schools. And the reality is these black players, if they come to these locations, you can guarantee that funding will follow. Uh, has anyone watched the Eastman 30 for 30 on the Georgetown Hoyas? I did not. No, I've seen a little bit, of, seen a little bit yeah. of it. So they talked about Formerly the Atlantic 10 Network, and then the TV station followed. And that's pretty much how one-way college basketball really blew up with the Georgetown Hoyas, and everyone was focused on the Atlantic 10. And I may not be saying the, the, right, the right term, but it was Georgetown. It was – no, not Atlantic 10, the Big 10. I'm no. saying it wrong. I don't remember. Big, Big East. Big East. Big East. Big East. And so networks and funding and money – follows where the top tier athletes go in the same way with the NBA. The reason why the collective bargaining agreement on uh, the money was going up so high is because, because NBC and these other networks are paying in, which meant that more money is coming to the league and the players are able to get more money. And so one way that we can kind of address the inequality that comes from try, uh, in higher education in terms of uh, the value of an institution is if more of our athletes committed to go to uh, our schools, uh, particularly the Howards um, and the other Division One schools, it would allow our athletes to contribute to their community and to the social uplift of our society. And so when I say I'm bothered, it's not that I'm mad that he's going there. I just wish that our own players here who are Native-born would see the same value. And, and do I think it's going to be a a drastic shift? I, I probably not. Um, but I think it would be a great way 
for for us to help build up uh, our HBCUs because once again, I come back to this point, the greatest value and all and in, in, in the business of basketball is not the owners, it's the players. People come to see the players. And I will and, and as Dion said, I'd love to see a Howard University in there. I'd love to see a North Carolina AT in there. I'd love to see uh, Lincoln University in there. Lincoln who's having tr- trouble staying open to funding. See them in these tournaments and really put on because um, our top athletes are going there. Thank you for that. Philip, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, I'm truly excited. Um, you know, they have an influence of my daughter hearing potentially Mikey Williams is thinking of going HBC, um, has my daughter who's planning to go to college next year and her top her school she wants to go to has to be HBC. So, um, and so I'm excited for that, but I'm interested to see how this work out for these other schools. So now the college, the um, student who's entering has options to play um, professional sports, go to HBCU, go play overseas, or play for the NBA G League program. What's going to happen to the quote unquote college sports, the ones that we tend to focus on, the one that is on ESPN or all these networks, would the talent dry up because it's not, um, or, and, or the talent is actually being more evenly um, distributed among the, you know, the pool. So I'm interested to see the, 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 the effects that's going to occur for the next level. Um, will these kids who consider to go HBCU playing lesser talent than they'll play a Duke or North Carolina or Georgia Tech or UCLA? because it's not, you know, highly recruited team, or were that these kids who go to these schools touted as a better athletes because they're able to bring these kids and invite it into the NCAA tournaments and, and show. So I'm interested to see that, but I'm happy that um, the kids are having, making broad their horizon, more options to go to a historical black college and help pour back into where the money should be first and foremost. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm definitely, I mean, I share the same sentiments as, as what everyone mentioned, so I won't really repeat. And while I don't think there's going to be a mass exodus, so to say, of top talent going to HBCUs, I think we have to look at this holistically. Now you have players who are public about um, wanting to play for historically Black colleges with the combination of the G League, which is attracting top tier talent. And while I don't think this is an exodus away from the NCAA, the traditional NCAA schools, I do think it's something um, we should kind of watch and see how that develops because it can definitely have an impact on, on um, you know, what NCAA, NCAA teams look like, especially if the G League continues to transition and continue to have the incentives that it does to attract top talent, I don't know. I mean, the NCAA might look a little different in five to 10 years. All right, well, that wraps up our super exciting um, episode today. Um, We want to thank once again, Weldon for coming in and being a guest host, sharing his um, opinions and perspectives on these variety of issues. 
Um, thank you for hanging in there with us. I know we can be a little crazy at times, but we just <laughs> love this podcast and we love to have fun. Um, to our listeners, remember you can follow us on Facebook at A Lady and Some Dudes. We are also on Instagram as well. Um, make sure you provide feedback after you um, listen to the show. We had varying opinions on a lot of things. You tell us where you stand um, so we can continue that conversation. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Until next time.